Well, this is going to be the start of a series that we will do every year around this time called State of the Church. And one of the things that brought this series about was uh, just kind of going through a, a jumbling up of how we do things as a church. If you've been around the Methodist Church for very long, you know typically the governing body of the church is the church council. Well, several years ago, we restructured how leadership is done here. We've got a one board model now, and so we no longer have a church council. And so there wasn't really anything that the entire church got to participate in as far as understanding what's going on in the church, where things are going, how things are run. And so this is going to kind of replace what that used to be. The church council and the charge conference is going to be replaced by this. And so this is what we'll do every year. We'll go through uh, a few different message series, where we've been, where we're at, and where we're going. And so that way, we're kind of all on the same page as a church. Everybody knows what's going on. Everybody knows uh, kind of who is involved in leadership. And so this is kind of what this is going to be for us going forward. Now, whenever I initially kind of imagined this series several months ago, I had no idea that what happened, as most of you saw the news uh, about the United Methodist Church, it's been all over the, the national news media, how we're probably going to go through uh, a reorganization this year. I had no idea that was going to happen at this time. And so I had initially planned on a three-week sermon series. Now that's kind of ambiguous. As we approach the end of this series now, I might tack on one or two sermons just to kind of help us chart our way forward as the denomination is figuring out a new way forward. And so we'll be covering some issues that I did not plan on covering. Uh, and we'll be touching on those here and there throughout the weeks. Let me just say this about that. I don't plan on getting into that this week. I've sent out uh, an email where you can find out more information about that. If you go to our church homepage, fumclamisa.com, I've got several links right there on our homepage that you can follow and find out more about that. Let me just say this about that right now. What is going to more than likely happen this year is there will be a vote in May that will decide where the church is going to go moving forward, it will probably result in two different denominations. Let me say this. As far as the day-in, day-out life of this church, as far as the year-in, year-out life of this church, you will notice absolutely no difference whatsoever. But there are decisions that we're going to have to make moving forward that we need to be prepared for. And so we will need to... We'll need to discuss the issues. We'll need to discuss where we're at as a church. And I would say that more than likely, and I've had some significant conversations this week, both with our district superintendent and with other leading pastors in our conference, uh, more than likely our conference, the Northwest Texas Conference, will vote to align with the traditional branch of the United Methodist Church, which is the same branch that we've always been a part of. It will have a new name, but it will be the same branch. And we probably, as a church, won't have to vote on anything because our entire conference is going to vote. And so very little is going to change. Uh, but again, we'll be discussing those issues moving forward. If you have any questions, you're more than welcome to email me or call me or come by the office and visit with me. 
but uh, we'll get into more detail as the series goes on with that. And so, let's get into our message series today. The message today is where we have been as a church, and that little video that we just watched, all of the photographs in that video are actually from the, the history of this church. Those are, so those are all La Mesa photographs, like the first parsonage that this church had. It was, it was one of the photographs that you saw. And we've just got a lot of rich material and a lot of rich history. The church actually has a history written by a guy named Robert Kirk. I don't know if you've ever heard that name or not, or if you've ever read the history. But I thought that was fascinating. And the, the title of the video was Pioneer, because that's the title of the book that Robert H. Kirk wrote about our church, the church that grew and pioneered. And I want you to read, I'm going to read some excerpts from his history, and I want you to see how often he used that word pioneer to describe this church, the people that comprised this church, and really the people that first settled Dawson County. Look at how often he uses that word as I read through some of the history that he wrote. He says, the first settlement in Dawson County was in 1874 by buffalo hunters. But not until the dawn of the 20th century did the county start developing. In 1900, there were two families in the county. The total population was only 36. But people soon began moving in, and Methodists, with their usual pioneer spirit, were among them. Since the days of John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, Methodists have been pioneers on every front. This is especially true of this church, First Church Lamisa, for her history is a continuous, thrilling, and pioneering story. At first, the good news was told at different homes in the county when a preacher chanced to come through. The announcement of these meetings, which often lasted all day with dinner on the ground, was sent out through the grapevine. And you thought I preached a long time. In 1904, Reverend J.O. Gore gathered a few existing Methodists who would simply record their names on common pieces of paper which have been lost. The first official roll book was received and recorded in 1906, with the first parsonage being built in 1907. Both saint and sinner attended the church. Some things never change, do they? Conversions were numerous. A house of worship was badly needed. The pioneering members rallied, and the first services of the First Church in La Mesa were held on Thanksgiving night, 1907. This was and is a pioneering, a democratic, or a church where there are a lot of great leaders, and they all participate in what's going on in the church. A democratic church whose congregation has Christ-like attitudes and love for one another that could hardly be excelled. Again, some things never change, do they? The glorious part is the church is still pioneering. Both clergy and laymen are trying to enlighten themselves on how to best serve the present age, realizing that love, friendliness, responsibility, courage, sacrifice, and spiritual devotion are the Christian's greatest tools. We have a great heritage, brave hearts, and great sacrifices 
have steered us to this victorious hour. If the example of these stalwart pioneers will in any way urge us on to greater zeal, courage, faithfulness, dependability, loyalty, and self-sacrifice in carrying on the work of the master, then I will feel a million times repaid. Robert H. Kirk, 1947. Wasn't that neat? Have you guys read that history of the church? You know, it's all kind of new to me, and so I was really impressed at the hard work that this guy has done. And, uh, and just the, the things that this church has been through and done. You know, this is a, a church that has settled in a not easy part of the country, right? And that's one of the things that shapes the character of the people of West Texas. This is not easy land to live in. And so it takes a person with substantial character. It takes cooperation in order to get along in a country like this. And, and it's kind of shaped the way it is, and it's one of the reasons I really like raising my kids in this part of the country. And so I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 11 through 13, because here is a church where we read the story, and we've got this little history book that tells the whole story of the church. And the story tells us when properly organized, when everything's set in its proper place, the church will thrive and grow and produce fruit. And that's exactly what the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to start reading in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up or edified or strengthened until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Church, notice what happens. When the church is properly ordered, when people are assuming the roles, the God-ordained roles that he intended them to serve in, the church reaches unity, it's strengthened, it brings people to maturity. All of these things the scripture de describes as bearing much fruit. When the church is properly ordered, it produces good things. And so that's why it's wise to take some time to discuss that together as a church. What does that look like? How do we do things? Why is it important? It's wise to do this on a regular basis because we organize and we reorganize. And God prunes us or he cuts us back or he shrinks us. And sometimes that's painful. But he does that to produce times of new growth, of new health, right? And so sometimes he prunes us, sometimes he reorganizes us. We all keep it in mind with an eye on Scripture because whenever God does that, it always produces new growth, new strength, new blessings, both for the people who call this place home and for the city. Amen? It was interesting as I was reading through the, the history book, and talk about pruning, how many different times the church has went through pruning phases. And it always bounces back. Listen, life goes in cycles, doesn't it? You've got good years and good seasons of life, 
And then you've got pruning years, and pruning years aren't any fun. Amen? I prefer the not pruning years to the pruning years. I don't know about you. But the pruning years always produce good things. And this church has kind of went through a pruning season recently, hasn't it? Was it too long ago? We tore down a really precious and treasured building, building where lots of great memories were made. Lots of great ministry was done. Right? It's a difficult season for this church. I want to read something to you from the history books. How many of you know history repeats itself? Listen to what Robert H. Kirk wrote. This was titled, or this was dated June 22nd, 1925. June 22nd, 1925 was the last service in the old building. It was a solemn occasion. The thoughts of wrecking the sanctuary where so many victories had been won caused many emotions, but it had to be. The old church had served its purpose and was now declared unsafe. I thought it was so uncanny after hearing all the stories that I've heard of our building project here, that exact paragraph could have been written just a few years ago. Right? And then look at the new ministry God brought about in this city and in this church as a result of going through that pruning process. Isn't that amazing? How many of you know God knows what he's doing? And so as we look back at what God has done in our church, we're going to do it with an eye looking forward. What is God going to do? And that's something we want to keep our finger on the pulse of. What is God doing in this season of our church? We went through a pruning phase as a church. And that, we can see that in the history of our church. We're, we're looking at now going through a reorganization phase, which has happened as well in the United Methodist Church, our denomination. It went through a reorganizing phase in 1968. The scripture would refer to that as creating new wineskins. The Bible says you never pour new wine into old wineskins. When God wants to do a new thing and you try and pour it into an old thing, the old thing will just break. It can't contain it. You have to create a new wineskin for new wine. And so our church went through a reorganization phase in 1968. But there was a problem with that reorganization phase. Sometimes reorganization is God-made, sometimes it's man-made. When it's God-made, it produces good things. When it's man-made, usually it doesn't. I want to read to you what a professor at Regent University, a professor of historical theology, said about the organization phase of the United Methodist Church. This church has not always been United Methodist. I don't know if you knew that or not because the United Methodist Church didn't exist until 1968. And this church has existed since 1906. So before that, it was some other kind of Methodist. And so as we go through a reorganization phase this year, uh, we'll be changing names, but we haven't had this name forever anyways, church. Let's look at what the Professor Dale M. Coulter said about the organization of the United Methodist Church 
1968. And he's referring to the protocol for separation that was just in the news recently that you've read about. There's a protocol for separation so that the different factions within United Methodism can go their own way. He says, the opening of the protocol for separation states that the United Methodist Church and its members have fundamental differences regarding their understanding and interpretation of scripture, theology, and practice. All three of those things. But this line could have been written in 1968. This is not a new development. Methodist theologian Albert Outler basically said as much at the time. These differences drove the 1972 decision to ground the way forward for United Methodism in theological pluralism. What that means is we're going to tolerate all points of view. We're going to have open hearts, open doors, open minds which church I'm for to a certain extent, I'm not willing to be open-minded about everything. Are you with me? For instance, you know, there's a new thing, a new piece of legislation out that whenever, whenever a doctor has a botched abortion, they want to go ahead and be able to kill the baby that's already been born. I'm not willing to be open-minded about something like that, personally. So there, there are limits to that open-minded thing. Generally speaking, it's a good principle, but not always. The basis of the United Methodist Church became organizational unity, which is an outward veneer of being connected and being one body, with a commitment to theological diversity underneath. We didn't have disagreement, church. We had division. This experiment has failed, as evidenced by the United Methodist Church not having even one year of growth in its 50-plus years of existence. There's a good sign that the organization was man-made and not God-made. Whenever God's in it and doing it, it produces growth and produces fruit. Whenever man is doing it, it produces death. It has been continual decline ever since that decision was made. And, of course, we all know the scripture, a house divided against itself cannot, what? Cannot stand. But connectionalism lacks the depth needed to sustain any form of Methodism. The organizational structure of connectionalism merely supply a sociological surface that requires theological and moral substance to endure. In other words, there has to be some common agreement, some unity, in order for that connection to continue and grow and thrive. And so, <clears throat> what we're looking at this year, you can look at, look at it in one of two ways. You can look at it as a problem. You can look at it as the church dividing. You can look at it as being unfortunate, which is not the way that I personally look at it. I personally look at it as an opportunity. Church, one of the things that's going to come about as a result of this uh, new organization, we're going to be a part of a homogenous, like-minded uh, group of people with whom we're absolutely in agreement. The financial burden on our church is going to be lifted. We're not going to be 
uh, propping up some top-heavy bureaucracy anymore. And the things that our church does give to, we're really going to believe in. One of the opportunities that's going to come about as this church, for this church is, in the future, you're going to have a lot more say as to who gets to be the pastor of this church. I heard the story whenever I was picked to come and be pastor of this church that uh, it was kind of a last-minute decision. This church didn't necessarily get to be on board or learn about me. I just kind of got thrown, thrown into the shuffle. And sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't. I've seen it both ways. But in the future, you're going to get to have more of a say who comes and pastors you, and it'll be somebody that you, you're comfortable with, that you have confidence in, that you're in agreement with. So there are many good things that are going to come as a result of this. Now, are we going to have to change the name on our brand new building? Probably so. Probably so. But, is God clearly doing a new thing. Church, can you not perceive it? Listen, we've looked in the history of our church how God did a pruning phase. We've looked in the history of our church how at a, another point in time, God did a, a reorganization phase. Church, this church has been through all three in the short span of a few years. You think God isn't up to something new here? Look, the leadership of this church was reorganized just a year or two ago. A pruning phase we were taken through just a few years ago. Now a major reorganization. We're going through all three in just the span of a few short years. You think God isn't up to something? He's doing something. And so what we need to be doing as we go through this series is we need to be listening together. We need to be praying together. We need to be asking what God is up to so that we can pray and speak back to him what he wants to do so he can bring about the good things he wants to do. And I've heard good things about the future of our city and our region. It's an important thing that we pray for the blessing of God over our city and over our region. Because in Jeremiah 29, it says, pray for the cities to which I sent you. Because if your city prospers, you will prosper. Church, if this church is going to prosper, our city has to prosper as well, doesn't it? We have to pray for those things. Get in agreement with God. Ask him to do something. You know, a lot of times I hear people say, well, I can't do much, but I can pray. You know, with that kind of defeated tone in your voice. As though prayer was a small thing. Church prayer is powerful. And our number one work for this year, I don't know what else God wants to do, but I'll tell you this. If my people who are called by my name do not humble this, themselves and pray, prayer is going to be our number one job description for this year as a church. And that prayer is what's going to lay the groundwork for God to bless our city, to bless our region, to help us prosper and become stronger as a church, 
to bear all the fruit that God wants us to bear. There's lots of things that God is going to call us to do. Not one of them is more important than people praying. So that's going to be one of the things we focus on more than anything else uh, throughout this series and then throughout our year. And you'll notice if you receive our newsletter, we've got a new section in our newsletter called Prayer Focus. I've got a little minister's alliance that I'm a part of. And so I want you to know, not only are you praying, but we're praying in partnership with other churches in La Mesa. I'm praying in partnership with other pastors in La Mesa. We're praying over focused and specific things. God is going to do something new. He is setting the stage. To me, it cannot be denied. So I'm excited about that. Let's recognize what season that we're in together. Let's get more focused on and committed to praying together for our city, for our city's leaders, for our church on a daily basis. I'd ask you to be doing that. Because the things that God wants to do will not be done, and they won't be done in their fullness unless we partner with him in prayer and doing what he wants to do. Amen? So next week, we will be discussing where we're at as a church. I've asked Ron Nix, who is our finance chair, to speak to us about where we're at financially as a church. He'll give a little talk on that. I'll be, be identifying other people in our leadership, what our leadership looks like, how it works. I'll even make documents available online so you can see some of the new guiding principles and structures of our church. Again, it's no accident that we're getting a jump on that. Our book of discipline that we've been functioning under is going away, probably in May, June of this year. But we've got a jump on that as a church. So we're going to be just fine. But we want to make sure that everything we do is transparent, that you're informed, that you're involved to the extent that you want to be involved, that you know uh, who, who the people leading our church is. Those are all important things. You're welcome to ask questions. You're welcome to discuss things, to give your point of view. You're welcome to do all of those things. And so we will be uh, laying all of that out next week, and then we'll talk about where our church is going, where we're going as a church, then probably another message where we're going as a denomination after that. And so it's going to be an interesting few weeks, and uh, you won't want to miss it. So... Let me close with this in prayer, and I'd invite Chris to come on up. He's going to close us with another song, my favorite song that he sings. And so we want to just spend a little time here at the end of this service. You know, many times at the end of a message, as individuals, we ask God to do a new thing in our minds and hearts. This is one of those where as a church, I just want to lead us as a church, just resubmitting the reins of who we are as a church to Jesus Christ. He is really the one that we have the eyes of our hearts set on. It's not an institution. It's a man. And so, Jesus, we are so grateful that you love this church more than anyone else in this room. You've got more invested in this church than anyone else in this room. And we trust that you have a vision for us to do, to do more good things to bear more good fruit for your glory. For the benefit of the people in this room and in this city. And so we just say yes, wherever you want to lead us, wherever you want to take us, we're with you. So Holy Spirit, thank you that you distribute discernment 
insight, confidence in the people of First Methodist Lamisa. Father, we even pray that as we go through this with all the attention this is going to be getting in the news media, that you use it to improve our reputation and not diminish it. Because we're with you, we've always been with you, we know you're good, we know you're right. We just need to see it more clearly, cooperate more fully. So Holy Spirit, thank you for blessing this entire season and series to strengthen our church, to increase confidence in our church, to increase your blessing of provision over us as a church. Whenever unity is increased and division is diminished, the blessing of God goes up. And we welcome that. We expect it. Father, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.